0: When I was a teenager, one summer, my dad enlisted us to work on our farm. We had 12 acres of land, and we had what you consider just kind of a small farm-like situation, some fields, some, some animals, that kind of stuff. And we were tasked, my brother and I, by my dad, to help out with stuff around the house. Because at that time, my dad was Still in the military he was still working in montgomery and he was actually spending every week in montgomery instead of at our house he'd come home for the weekends only and so he didn't have time to take care of our our little tiny farm we had so you got a picture of these young teenage guys and it's really our first time to do some serious work we thought it felt like work we felt like we had a job of course now we realize that working for your dad at home is really not a job but he would make us get up early, and he would make us work, and we had a timed lunch break where we could only have a certain amount of lunch break for a certain amount of time, and we painted fences uh, and gates. We scraped rust off of stuff. We cleaned out some areas that had brush. You go, okay, you know, why, why is Michael and Forrest, my brother, why were they doing that? Well, we weren't doing that just because my dad told us to. I'll give you a little hint about that. We were doing that because my dad said, you're either going to work outside this summer on this farm while I'm gone, or you're going to get a real job. And our motivation then to work there at the house is we didn't want to get a real job and go out and start working. So if you were to ask me as a teenager, why are you out here in 110 degree Alabama heat of summer? I'd be like, I don't want to have a real job. But why do we work? There was a nonfiction writer who was writing a book about the attitudes of the workforce, and he went to a stone quarry, and he asked some people about why they were there. So he asked one person, and he said, why are you here? And he said, well, can't you see? I'm cutting stones out. Then he went to somebody else. He said, what are you doing here? The guy said, I'm making money. Then he came to the third guy, and he said, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm helping to build a cathedral. Now we all have different perspectives of work for some of us it feels like a necessary evil because we have to do it in order to pay the bills it might be that we have a success or an achievement that we want to succeed at and we work to succeed that achievement maybe we want to satisfy our family's needs or satisfy what our family wants from us or or maybe we just want to have some more leisure in our lives and we see work as a way to have more leisure in our lives but the question is, why, why do we work? Is that all there is? is it, it? Do we just go to work to make money, to make some people happy, to get some sort of personal fulfillment? Or is there something else involved in work, a higher purpose in why we work? That's what Psalm six, I mean, uh, sorry, Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9, talks about to us. Y'all know who've been here, we've been going through this series called Gospel Blueprints, talking about... What God says about our relationships. In Ephesians chapter 5, earlier, uh, in verse 18, Paul says that we live in a world that's full of moral and spiritual landmines. And so we have to be careful how we walk in this world. And then inside verse um, 19 of chapter 5, he says one of the ways to walk wisely is we get filled by the Holy Spirit. And we get filled by the Holy Spirit, verse 21, by having correct relationships with one another. So Paul says in order for us to be wise in this world and to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be Christians who are living a proper life in a world that has so many landmines we can step on. One of those things we need to make sure we do is we have proper relationships with one another. And so then he starts in chapter 5 verse 22 to give three sets of relationships, the husband and the wife, the parents and their children, and the boss and their workers, to talk about and show God's design for those relationships. And what Paul will ultimately show is that relationships are not just about personal feelings or fulfillment or companionship. God designed relationships with a gospel blueprint. Every relationship should reflect the gospel in what we're doing. And today we're going to look at this last one in this series in Ephesians 6, verses 5-9, through 9, the relationship between the boss and their workers. I think for, of all these relationships, these three sets... This one probably is the broadest, and in reality affects all of us. William Shakespeare had a poem that he began, a very famous poem that he began like this. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits, and they have their entrances, and one one man in many times plays many parts. Shakespeare says that all of us have a stage that we're on. And it's not a stage in the, in the sense that we're acting or playing a part and we're being fake in front of people and who we really are is not who we present to people. That's not what he means by stage. He said we have a stage in the fact that we have an audience. No matter who we are, whether we're a, a student, whether we're a, in college, whether we're volunteering at an organization in our neighborhood at a workplace, we're on a stage and people are watching us. They're watching to see what we do. They're watching to see who we are. And this passage speaks to who we are when you're on your stage. Whatever you do Monday through Friday. And so let's read the first part of this, which is going to be verses 5 through 8. It says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's slave or free. The main takeout I want you to take away from today is reflect the gospel in how you work on your stage. No matter what your stage is, reflect the gospel in how you work. Paul first, as he did in the other relationships, addresses one party of the relationship, then he'll do the other. And the first party he does in this one is what I'm going to call the workers. Now, verse five uses this word and begins with this word called douloi, which the NASB translates slaves. If you have the ESV, it translates it bond servant. You might see something else, and those are correct translations of it. But because Paul uses this word douloy to describe this person, this is actually one of the most controversial passages in the whole Bible. People have sadly, in the past, used this passage to justify and bolster the institution of slavery. And even today, there are mostly liberal scholars ...who point to this passage and and claim that Paul believes in slavery. They claim that Paul is trying to support slavery. And they use this passage as proof that we shouldn't believe everything the Bible says. But this passage is only controversial if you don't understand the context of who Paul is and what a douloy actually was. In the first place, Paul is not supporting slavery in these verses... Nor is he just giving a mere sugarcoat on top of an institution that's already existing in his day. Paul is actually taking something and he's radically revolutionizing it for the gospel. He's changing that institution, that idea from the inside out. And he's going to apply Christ. And he's going to apply the gospel to that. And he's going to apply the principle that all of us are one people in the Lord and he's gonna show how that radically changes the idea of how we work. Secondly, this passage is not controversial or as controversial if you realize what a do really was. See, when we think of slaves as the NASB translates it, we think of 19th century American South, right? We think of the horrors of slavery that happened in the American South during those times and the consequences afterwards. And we should be horrified by the way that uh, African Americans were treated in America during that time. But we can't take that American 19th century idea of slavery and apply it here because that's not what do the life of a do For one thing, a third of, of the empire of Rome or a A third of them. That's because one of the ways you could become a Roman citizen is actually by choosing, by making a choice, to become one, to become a slave by choice. Paul later he talks about, he says, I, I didn't work for my, my citizenship. He tells people I was born a citizen. That's what he means. You could actually work and become a Roman citizen by choosing to be a douloir. A douloir could own property. They could sometimes choose their own masters. They could sometimes switch their masters. It was for a period of time, and then it was over. They had rights, according to the government. And so the idea, and and I'm not saying that having this institution at the time was perfectly okay, because it it wasn't perfectly okay then. In fact, Paulus, even then, with as tame as it was, was still trying to change it, and in Philemon, get rid of it. But it wasn't the atrocities of the American South. In fact, the closest thing we have today is what we would consider to be a worker and their boss. And that's what I throughout this I'm going to talk about not masters and slaves, but bosses and their workers. And by mean worker, I mean this, anyone who is under an authority. So it's not it could be an employee, sure, but it can also be a student. It could be somebody who's under a coach. It could be a volunteer if they're working for an organization. If you are doing something under an authority, you are a worker. And Paul's command for us on our stage, if we're workers, is that we are supposed to be obedient to our bosses. You reflect the gospel on your stage by being obedient to your master, obedient to your boss, verse 5. The word obedient there means to be careful attention to what's going on, And to be careful, make sure you do everything that they say. And then when we realized, too, that slaves back then had masters that were largely pagan and unbelievers, we realized that this passage applies to every one of us. Even if we have somebody that's not a Christian, we're supposed to be obedient to our bosses. That's how we reflect the gospel on our stage. Well, you say, why is that, Michael? Why is that so important? Look at these verses And I'm going to point something out to you. In the verse 5, it says, As to Christ. Verse 6, it says, As slaves of Christ. Verse 7, it says, As to the Lord. Verse 8, it says, From the Lord. Every single verse. Do you think God's trying to get our attention about something? The way you act on your stage reflects the gospel. The way you treat your boss is a reflection of Christ's lordship in the gospel. And the way we work reflects our relationship to Christ. He says that as we work, what we're supposed to do is not supposed to work as if our bosses are telling us something. He says we're supposed to work as if Jesus is our ultimate Lord and if Jesus is our ultimate boss. Everything we do and everything we're supposed to do try to work like, is try to act like Jesus is the one that's watching over us. Jesus is the one giving us the work, not the one who's over us in authority. And that should radically change the way we do work. And that should radically change the way we do work compared to other people whose Jesus is not their Lord. We should look different for people who are not Christians. This passage is amazing because it says this. It says that you don't have to be a full time pastor or full time ministry to be doing full time ministry. You can be doing full time ministry at Walmart, you can be full time ministry in your business, you can be doing full time ministry at your school, you can be doing full time ministry at the neighborhood. If you're treating what you're doing for that work as your ministry, as your mission field, you're doing for the Lord. And here's the amazing part. He says later you'll get rewarded for that, just like you were doing ministry to. Paul put it a different way in other passages. He says inside 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And in Titus he'll say this, Urge slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be pleasing, not argumentative, not stealing, but showing all good faith. So they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Reflect the gospel on your stage by workers working as if you're working for Christ. There's a famous movie called Chariots of Fire. It's an older movie, I'm sure. I, I'll be honest with you. I've, it's been so long since I've seen it. I don't remember the whole thing. And some of the younger guys, you probably haven't even heard of it. Chariots of Fire. Y'all heard of that, fight, that movie before? i got to watch that if y'all are athletes. It's a good, it's a sports movie y'all seen church fire back there no probably not by a blank looks on me yeah Uh, (laughs) so church fire follows two athletes british athletes who are preparing for the olympics andrews and liddell and their personalities couldn't be more different liddell was a missionary he was going to be a missionary afterwards he was a huge believer in god and he did everything he could as if this was God's mission for him was to run. They were runners. Andrews was the complete opposite. He he did everything for himself. He did everything for personal praise. He did everything because he wanted to get the glory. And their conversations with people reflected that differences in their lives. One time, Liddell he missed a meeting, a missionary meeting, and his sister got upset with him. So he pulled her aside and he begins to walk and talk with her. And this is what he tells his sister. He says, Jenny, Jenny, you've got to understand, I believe God made me for a purpose, and that's for China, referring to his missionary work. But he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. That scene is in stark contrast to Andrew's. Because later, he's, he's preparing for his final run, he's, and he does end up winning the goal. But as he's talking to his best friend, he says this, I'm 24 years old, and I've never known contentment. I'm forever in pursuit, and I don't know what I'm chasing. So you have one man, and they're both doing the same task. But one guy, he says, I feel God's pleasure. I feel happiness. I feel joy in what I'm doing. And it's because he works and he runs. He's runner, of all things, as if he's running for God. The other one says, I can never find contentment in life. The only difference. Is their attitude to our work. Who they were working for. So this passage. Speak to us as Christians. As anybody that's under the authority. That you have a responsibility. To reflect the gospel. And how you work on your stage. You reflect the gospel as a worker. By being obedient to your boss. As you would to Christ. And in doing that. People around you will see. How the gospel is changing. If you are a Christian, you should be one of the best employees your company has. You should be one of the most well-behaved students in school. You should be one of the most loved people in the neighborhood. Because if you are a Christian, you're not doing what you're doing for yourself. You're doing it for Christ. And people should notice that Christians are a different breed of work. And should notice that we're different breed of workers. So, what does it look like? You wake up tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock, some of y'all. What does it look like Monday morning when you go to work or you go do your charity, hang out in the neighborhood, go to school? How does this actually play out in everyday life? Well, Paul shares with us these four things that what it looks like to be obedient and reflect the gospel in our places. The first of those is this, you reflect the gospel by being reverently obedient to your boss. He says in verse 5 that we are to obey those who are masters according to flesh with fear and trembling. The word fear and trembling there is not an idea of being scared and cowering and cringing behind people. But it's the idea in the Bible of being cautious to to do everything that's asked of you and to be respectful and reverent while you're doing it. Then he says in verse 5, with sincerity of your heart. Which was a phrase to mean not doing it with any kind of hypocrisy, not doing it with any kind of fakeness, not doing it with any kind of lying, but out of the true honesty of your heart. He says we are to reflect the gospel by being reverently obedient to our bosses. I don't really have to describe what it looks like to be reverently obedient. Because y'all know what it looks like to not be reverently obedient, right? If you've had kids. If you're a teacher, you know what it's like to not have people reverently obedient to you. You know, somebody tells you to do something and you get that little eye roll. And you walk off, maybe drag your feet, maybe uh, you grab your thing that you need. i not use that. Set it down a little bit too hard on your desk that you really need to. Or you walk out the door and you shut the door a little bit harder than you're supposed to. You make it clear, you're not telling the boss that you're not happy about doing what they're telling you, but you are passively, aggressively showing that you're not content with what they just told you to do. We've all obeyed like that. We've probably all obeyed our parents like that, and we might have been like that in our work, too. But is that the way you obey Christ? Man, I hope not. I hope that's not the way you obey Christ, too. So we reflect the gospel by being reverently obedient to our bosses so the people around us can see the gospel and what it means to have Jesus as our Lord. Secondly, you can reflect the gospel by making sure you do it as from the heart. It says in verse 6, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Eye service was the phrase that Paul used to mean doing stuff only because the boss is watching. Man-pleasers, doing stuff only to make somebody happy. But when the boss isn't around, when the teacher's not looking, when the coach is not looking, when that that leader is not paying attention to you, you're not the same person when they're away as you are when they're there. And we all know people like that. You know, when the boss is gone, they're saying, gosh, that person is so unsmart. They can't do their job. I can't stand working here. They're kind of leaning against the wall, not really doing anything while everybody else is getting on with their stuff. And then suddenly the boss walks through the door, and they're like, yes, sir, yes, sir. oh, yeah, oh, you look so great today, sir, I love your shoes, you know. <laughs> suddenly they're, they're like, they act like they're the best employees, the most hardworking employees, that they love the boss and everything about them. We Have y'all seen people do that before? I know I have. He says we reflect the gospel by not doing stuff for I sir? not doing it just when the teacher or the boss is working, but doing it from the heart. Doing it just because the Lord is our boss, not the, the person who's over us immediately. Working as if it's for our heart. He says we should do it third with goodwill rendering the service in verse 7. That word goodwill meant to have enthusiasm, to wish people well, to have a positive attitude about stuff. He said we should work with a positive attitude and enthusiasm no matter what we're doing, even if it's terrible. My friend Clay, he told me a story, he talked about a story one time about going to get a cake for his daughter at a bakery. So he shows up at this bakery, and he's waiting in line, and the person behind the counter is just complaining. Complaining about the work hours, complaining about how hot it is, complaining about the customers, complaining about how little money they have. Every, it seems like he said every, every person who went up, the person complained about something to them. And then by the time Clay walked up there, the lady says, you know, you know what? You can't seem to find anybody that wants to work here. Clay said, I know like 10 reasons why people don't want to work here. You just said them. Paul says we reflect the gospel of work word by working as we would to Christ. I hope you don't obey Christ like that. I hope when you work for Christ, that's not your attitude toward Christ. And when we do all on our stage, we're doing what we're doing. That shouldn't be our attitude either. So he says we're supposed to have reverent obedience. We're supposed to be working from the heart. We're supposed to be having goodwill and enthusiasm. Finally, says we're supposed to be working as if we know that God's going to give us a reward. In Verse 8. It says, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's slave or whether he's free. Verse 8, like I said, is such an amazing verse because so often we think, well, only the stuff we do in the church gets a reward from God. Now, this passage is not referring to salvation. You can't work enough to earn salvation. This passage is applied to Christians that once you are saved, once you place your faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God takes Christians and he rewards Christians for what we do. The amazing thing about verse 8 is he's saying God doesn't just reward Christians for what we do when we're at church. He'll actually reward us for what we do when we're outside of church. That any good thing we do, whether we're teaching, whether we're on assembly line, whether we're delivering boxes, whether we're on a computer all day, that if any of that stuff is done, as if we're working for the Lord and we're trying to reflect the gospel on it, then God's going to reward you for what you do on your stage. What an amazing passage that is. He says it this way in another passage. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he's done, whether good or bad. We should be working as if we are not just working to get a paycheck to pay the bills. We're not just working in to make our wife or our family happy with us and what we're doing. We're not just working so we can have some leisurely time on the lake. We should be working in such a way that people can see that we know that God is our ultimate boss. And God is going to reward us if we're serving and working the right way. Paul says reflect the gospel on your stage. Workers, obey your bosses as if you're doing it all for Christ. Now in verse 9, Paul switches and goes to the next person on the list. The other side of the relationship, and that's to the bosses. And so we read verse 9. masters do the same thing to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with you. In other words, bosses, Treat your workers as the way Christ treats you. Bosses treat your workers as Christ treats you. I like verse 9 because it's almost like you could hear the bosses in the room when it was first read go, yeah, yeah, as as these verses are read. Like, yeah, don't do it for eye service. Yeah, work from the heart, have enthusiasm, I'm loving. You tell them, Paul. You tell those workers how they're supposed to be doing stuff. And then just before they can get excited, like, I've only got one verse. So this is sweet. My, my task is simple. Paul hits them with verse 9 and he says, Do the same thing to them. In other words, everything just listed in 5 through 8 to workers applies completely with bosses too. Bosses are to serve their workers, as the Christ of the church. Bosses are to be reverent and honor their workers. Bosses are to do stuff not for eye service but supposed to be working from the heart bosses are supposed to be rendering enthusiasm and a positive attitude bosses are supposed to be working as if they know jesus is going to reward them bosses are supposed to be working as if they're also working for christ knowing that they're not the end-all be-all that they have a greater lord that even if you're a ceo of a fortune 500 company you're still not the top dog and before bosses can say anything to their employees or to their workers or to the students, they've got to ask themselves, am I doing the same thing? The bosses, he says, do the same thing to them. And then he goes on, for bosses, and he says, give up threatening too. The word getting up literally meant to release your grasp off something, to loosen your grip. So he says, loosen your grip from threatening them. Now, Paul's not saying that you can't have reviews and evaluations. <laughs> Paul's not saying that you can't rebuke an employee who's not working like they're supposed to. He's not saying that you can't manage your team by hiring certain people and firing certain people. No, what he's saying, he says, loosen your grip on unchristlike, like, graceless, threatening. Because that's not the way Christ treats us. Does Christ discipline Christians? Yes, God disciplines Christians. But does God discipline us in a way that's that's harsh, that's unloving, that is unjustified? No. And in fact, if we turn to God and repent and ask for forgiveness, God pours out his grace upon us. We might still be disciplined in some way, but he also lovingly forgives us. So he says, we'll release this grasp of this unChrist life." Abusive, threatening, humiliating, debilitating, threatening on people. Because that's not the way Christ treats us. Why is all this so important? Well, he reminds them in verse 9 that both their master's and yours is in heaven. There's no partiality with them. So you have verse 8 where he says everybody's going to be rewarded what they do, whether, whether slave or free. In other words, whether you're you know, the janitor, whether you're CEO, everybody gets rewarded. And he reminds bosses in verse 9, not only does everybody get rewarded, but God doesn't show partiality in how he rewards people. We as humans place value on positions and education levels. Now, I have a PhD. We place value on that education level. We place value on the guy who's on the top of the building running the company over the delivery driver driving the buses. We place value on positions and titles and achievements. But God says even though those things might have value, one day God judges all people. And the most important thing to God is not what your title was. It's not how many trophies you won. It wasn't what kind of achievements you made or how much money you made. It wasn't which office you got upgraded to. The most important thing to God was what did you do with Jesus? Did you accept him by faith? And did you work for him on your stage? Did you reflect the gospel in whatever you were doing? And he says, God doesn't weigh the boss as more important than the part-time worker. And bosses need to remember that. That we all serve the same Lord equally. We all get rewarded equally. I think, as I mentioned several times, the teacher is a phenomenal example of how this passage speaks about reflecting the gospel on our stage and how this passage can work out beautifully for us. My family is a family of teachers. My great grandmother was a teacher. My father's mother, my grandmother, was a teacher. Both my parents were teachers. Ashley was a teacher. I mean, I am a teacher's kid through and through. i lived my whole life seeing the world of education. And from that, I've seen teachers who teach three-year-olds all the way up to adult GED classes. Every spectrum, special, special education down all the, all the way to advanced education. I've seen every spectrum of teacher that could teach every possible example of something in my family. And the amazing thing about teachers with this example is a public school teacher, they can't stand up and just present the gospel to class without getting sued or fired. And a lot of everybody else, most other occupations, you can, you can talk to your employees, however much you want, about what Jesus did for you on the cross, that he died on the cross for your sins, the very rose from the grave, so you can place your faith in him and be saved. Most other jobs, you can do that. You can't do that as a teacher without getting into legal trouble. But with this passage, you can still reflect the gospel on your stage. Now you can reflect the gospel by, as he says in verse 5, being respectful to your students. Yeah, are your students under your authority? Yes. If they do something bad, should they get punished? Yes. But don't. But we should also be speaking to students like they're people, like God and Christ died for them on the cross, like they're worthy of honor and respect because of who they are as image bearers of God. We can Act on your by as a teacher by not doing stuff for eye service, but from the heart. You know, the teacher who has like three good lessons and they wait until the principal is there to teach those good lessons and get their review. Teachers do that. Not the bad, not all teachers do, but there's bad teachers out there. And having, the good, having a few good lessons and waiting until the boss is watching, that's not how you work from the heart. Teaching with enthusiasm and a positive attitude. You know, not, not going around complaining about the students and complaining about the parents constantly. Complaining about the principal constantly, but being excited. And it's hard as a teacher to be excited all the time. Actually, when she did it, she would, I would know i would know any day if she was going to come home angry or uh, happy. I mean, it's hard being a teacher sometimes. But we should still do your work with enthusiasm because you're doing it for Christ. Working as if you know you're going to receive a reward from the Lord for what you've done. And here's why. Because you don't know who's in your classroom watching you on your stage. There could be a kid in there who's had a terrible ex- experience with the Christian and with the church. And they're totally turned off from Christ because of that. And the simple way that you work and the way you reflect how your relationship with Christ impacts your relationship with people at work can be that spark that changes that kid's mind and makes them realize, maybe I don't need to be so anti-Christ like I thought I should be. Yeah, it'd be great if a teacher like every other physician could also talk to people verbally about Christ. But you can still, as a teacher, reflect the gospel beautifully in your work environment by making sure that what you're doing is for the Lord, that you are treating those workers as you would hope Christ treats you. So what does that mean in everyday life? We follow this example. You know, we we be careful about the way, if you're in a position of authority, whether you're a boss or a teacher or a principal, whether, or maybe you're a captain on a team or a leader in some club or charity organization, you'd be careful about how you talk about people behind their backs, in front of them, reverently, show respect for them. You'd be careful how you work, that you're not just doing it to get um, the workers or the bosses pleased with you, but you're doing it from the heart. you show that you care about people. So somebody has a bad day. Don't just blow them off. You know, they're sick of, their wife is sick. Hey, what's wrong with your wife? And I pray for her real quick? I care about her. I care about you. You're not a cog in a, in a wheel. You're a person. You know, being enthusiastic and positive about what you're doing, even when it gets hard. Showing people that you know Christ is your Lord and you're working for his reward. This is an amazing passage that talks about how the Bible truly is practical for our lives. And every single person in here applies it to us. Because if you're in here, you're either under somebody with authority or you're over somebody with authority. Even if you're not working, even if you're retired, you're probably doing some kind of service in your family, some kind of service in the church, some kind of service in the community. You're volunteering somewhere in some way, even if, like I said, it's with your family. We all are either workers we're bosses or we're both, depending on our stage. And this passage goes against what people say. It'll go against what your non-Christian family and friends will do. But God has called us to live on purpose. God has called us to live for his glory. God has called us to be different, to have the gospel blueprint for our relationships, to reflect the gospel on our stage. And in doing that, we bring glory to God and people in So the next few moments, we're going to pray. I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that. Maybe God has laid on your heart that you don't work like you should. You're not working reflecting the gospel and what you do on your stage. Take this moment here the invitation to cry out to God about that. Ask for forgiveness, repent of that. Ask God to help you reflect the gospel on the stage of your life. Well, maybe you're here today and you heard this passage and others say that God one day is going to judge us for what we do. The Bible says that that includes our sin, that the wages of sin is death, that one day all of us are going to see God and God's going to take and even look at our sins. The good news is that Jesus Christ also came to this earth, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Master of the Universe, the Ultimate Boss, came to this earth. To die for us as workers. So that when God sees us in eternity, he just rewards us for the good things and doesn't punish us for the bad. And he says all we have to do to accept that is a free gift of salvation is placing our faith in Jesus. So if you have not done that today, I invite you during the invitation or after the church to come talk to me.